0: Well, good morning once again. Let us pray and jump into this sermon. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the people that you've placed in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can read in the Bible. The many examples that we have people that were wanting to seek after you, people that made mistakes along the way, and how you dealt with it all. And so, Lord, as we open your word this morning, we want to give you this time. We invite you to come into our lives, to come into our hearts, and to do whatever surgery is necessary. Lord, remove the things that might distract us, and keep us focused on your voice this morning. Lord, hide me behind the cross, speak through me, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I am going to go ahead and move these back. As funny as some of you might find it, I don't want to trip up here, and you know how much I move around. All right, so today's sermon is entitled, A Different Spirit, A Different Spirit. And we've got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to jump right into it. And so to, to set the scene a little bit, the Israelites have been freed from Egypt. They have been given the Ten Commandments from God and are now headed toward the promised land in Canaan. And so that's where we're picking up. Numbers 13, verses 17 and 18, it says this. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. I, I, I love that little bit that he just tacks on to the end. And then, and then we learn here, now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So the 12 spies, they went on their way and they come across these, these massive grapes there in Canaan. Then they came to the Valley of Escol. And there, cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. So just get that picture in your mind. This is not a, a little bundle of grapes like you get from the grocery store. This was something that was so large, so massive, that they had to attach it to a pole. And then two men had to hold it on one shoulder hold it on the other, and then the, the, this cluster of grapes is in between them. So this is a massive cluster of grapes. And then they also brought some pomegranates and figs. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And then they, they didn't waste any time. They brought their report directly back to Moses, who had given them their mission. And, and the, the, the people all surrounded They wanted to hear it as well. Verse 27, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this, pointing out that massive cluster of grapes, this is the fruit. But then, after describing the the beauty and the, the fertile soil of the land, All but two of the spies then chose to focus their report on the possible difficulties and dangers that awaited them. Verses 28 and 29, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, giants, The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and all along the banks of the Jordan. And as you can imagine, the scene, it changed. It changed. It changed from one of excitement and jubilation to one of fear and discouragement. The ten spies voiced their unbelief in the promises of God. And this bad report cast a gloomy shadow over the Israelite congregation who had gathered around to hear the good news, what they were hoping for. Thus, the mighty power of God, which had been manifested previously, and not too long ago in the, the 10 plagues in Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and the eventual defeat of the entire Egyptian army, God's presence before them in a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. It was all but forgotten and disregarded by the people. It was as if the Israelites left God out of the equation and acted as though their receiving the promised land was totally dependent upon their own strength, their own power, their own military might. And in her commentary on these verses, Ellen White wrote this, in their unbelief, they limited the power of God and distrusted the hand that had hitherto safely guided them. Their unbelief limited the power of God? What? Maybe you're wondering, how is that even possible? Almighty God, how could people's unbelief limit his unlimited power? But I think we can get a little bit of clarity by looking at an instance in the life of Jesus where his power was limited by people's unbelief. Matthew 13, 58. Now he, Jesus, did not do many mighty works there because of their what, everyone? Unbelief. So Jesus was in his hometown. The homeboy had come back and he desired to pour out the immeasurable blessings of God upon the people in miraculous ways. That was his goal, that was his desire, but because of their unbelief, this power was neutered. Whew. God wants to bless everyone, but he won't force his blessings upon those who don't want them. You've heard me say it a number of times up here, God is a gentleman. God respects our free will. And so I believe that Caleb, one of these 12 spies, he understood exactly what was unfolding. And he sensed the people's unbelief. And he stepped in. He, he, he tried his best to curb it. Verses 30 and 31 Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Come on, y'all, let's go, let's do this. And notice how Caleb didn't contradict what had already been said about the land. He didn't contradict it. The walls were high. The Canaanites were strong. But God had promised the land to Israel in his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. But then the 10 other spies spoke up, and they pushed their own agenda, and they presented their report in even darker colors than they had at first. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we And then they continue, they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Say that with me. A what? Bad report. A bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. A bit dramatic, huh? (laughs) But this is what often happens in life when God asks his people to step out in faith, to take on a seemingly impossible task and to place all of their trust in him. Seeds of doubt and despair are laid by those who would rather train their focus upon the power of the enemy as opposed to the power of God. These 10 spies not only gave a bad report, but they gave a lying one. The fear-based message was inconsistent with itself. The spies had all declared that the country was fruitful, prosperous, and that the people were of great stature, none of which would have even been possible if the the climate was so horrendous that the land, quote, devours its inhabitants, right? I mean, this this messaging is inconsistent. Now, before we go any further, it's important to clarify a few things here for context. A few minutes ago, I mentioned the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's a lot of covenant talk in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, it's literally the core of the Bible story. But the greatest simplification I've heard of what the covenant entailed came from a sermon that I once heard preached by David Asherick. He said that the covenant could be condensed down to two things, two things, land and descendants, land and descendants. Can you all repeat that with me? Land and descendants. One more time, land and And descendants. You're going to keep hearing me say that, but I I believe that you are going to have a a firmer grasp on what this covenant was when it's all said and done. God promised a godly people inhabiting a goodly land. That was God's promise. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God first makes his covenantal promise to Abraham, we read this, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation, land and descendants. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the covenant. So the invitation here, It was not parochial, it was not regional, and it was not ethnic. It was the promise from God to have a godly people inhabiting a goodly land. Then in Genesis 15, it says that Abraham believed in the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. So God made a covenant with Abraham, promised him, Land and descendants. Yet the promise was not to be fulfilled immediately. This is hard for us in the 21st century to accept, right? We expect things immediately. You order stuff on Amazon Prime, and if it is not there in two days or less, we're angry, right? How dare they make me wait three days for this thing to travel across the entire country and get to my door? <laughs> So this promise was made, but it was not to be fulfilled immediately. And we're not talking waiting an extra day or two. Instead, God made light of the fact that there were already peoples inhabiting the promised land, but that he was going to give them 400 years of mercy to change their ways. 400 years. It's the mercy of God. Genesis 15, 16, it says, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Yeah, they're bad. Yeah, they're wicked. But I'm still giving them a chance to change. Now, the Amorites were just one of the 10 nations that were living in Canaan at the time. But the 400 years of mercy was extended to each of these 10 nations but again, it's important for us to realize that this ending of the 400 years and Israel being called to move into the land had less to do with Israel's righteousness and more to do with the nations of Canaan's wickedness. Deuteronomy nine four it says, "'Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God "'has cast them out before you, saying, well, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now remember, the covenant God made was concerning what two things, everyone? Land and descendants, right? Land and descendants. God promised to have a godly people residing in a goodly land, and the nations currently in Canaan were not a godly people, These peoples were given 400 years to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, but they did not. And what were some of their wicked ways? The Canaanites, as a whole culture, committed sins of idolatry, holy temple prostitution, adultery, incest, murder, bestiality, gang rape, and probably the most reprehensible of all, child sacrifice. They worshiped Moloch. Though other cultures also participated in some of these practices, it was the widespread involvement in and acceptance of these things that brought the Canaanites under God's judgment. These sins exist in every culture, then and now, but are forbidden by most governments and are socially condemned by the majority of the people in the culture. However, in Canaanite culture, these sins were almost universally practiced and accepted because this is what they believed their gods were like. Not only did they declare these acts as righteously moral, but it was done in a legalistic way. As a means of getting the gods' attention. Again, Israel was never commanded by God to kill the Canaanites merely to take control of the land. It was not a land grab. It was not a conquest. Rather, God made it explicitly clear that the Canaanite people were being destroyed for their grievous and repeated sins. That's what they were being judged for. All right, now that some of that context is laid, Let's get back to the story at hand. 10 of the 12 spies had just given their, as the Bible turns it, their bad report. And this is how the people of Israel reacted. Numbers 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And then as the story continues into chapter 14, we find that the people of Israel cried and wept at the bad report. They complained against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. They called for new leadership of their own choosing to take them back to Egypt, the place where they had been set free from, the place where they had been in bondage for many generations. And they ultimately went on to pick up stones to murder Moses and Aaron. But the Lord intervenes in verse 10 by revealing his glory in the tabernacle of meeting. God shows up and puts a stop to it. And then Moses and and the Lord, they have a dialogue. And it's in this dialogue that we see how vastly different God acts in contrast to how the people acted. Because in verse 18, we find that God is long-suffering. God is abundant in mercy. He is forgiving. God is just. And so God decides to pardon the iniquity of his people and to let them live. But they wouldn't be able to see the promised land because they chose to accept the bad report from 10 of the 12 spies. And thus begins the wilderness wanderings. But God had this to say in verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit you see that land and descendants there? God is saying, I'm not forgetting about my covenant." And I absolutely love the wording there. Did you catch that? Caleb had a different spirit, a different spirit. And let's be clear here. All 12 of these spies, they encountered the same city with the same inhabitants. They had The same experience over there. Yet Caleb and Joshua, he was was the other faithful spy. They had a different spirit, which helped them better interpret what they saw. And I don't know about you, dear friends, but I want to have a different spirit too. So God continuing here, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, And Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in, but your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you despise. This tells me that God can take victims and turn them into victors. God is able to turn any hopeless situation around. That's at the core of the gospel message, is it not? Romans 6.23, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. Three chapters before that lets us know that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if that was the end of the story, we'd all be left without hope. We'd be left with nothing but a bad report. Yet because of Christ, we can hear a good report. He died the death that we deserve, and now he offers us a gift. Our filthy rags can be exchanged for his pure robe of righteousness. Our broken lives can be put back together and made whole, our hopeless future can be transformed into eternal sanctification. That's the good news. And that's the difference between accepting a different spirit or choosing to continue with a wrong or common spirit. Verse 35. I the Lord have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there they shall die. You see, having a wrong spirit it leads to wrong decisions which leads to wrong actions of which there are negative consequences. That's the reality of living in this sinful world. Our words, our actions, and unbelief in the promises of God have the ability to produce that negative result. A wrong or common spirit is characterized by fear, lack of love, retreating from challenges to go back to what is familiar, distrust in God's promises overall, selfish motives, Etc., etc. Yet to have a different spirit means to follow and believe that God is able to keep his word. And this leads us to act in accordance with his will. We trust someone, we are willing to follow them wherever they lead us. And the beautiful thing in all of this is that it isn't just left up to us to work real hard to try and somehow create some new and different spirit within ourselves. To have a different spirit is to accept God's spirit into your life. And the good news here is that he is constantly pouring it out upon us. Over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, you see this phrase, I will pour out my spirit, Isaiah 44.3, I will pour out my spirit. Joel 2.28, I will pour out my spirit. Numbers 11.29, I will pour out my spirit. Acts 2.17, Proverbs 1.23, I will pour out my spirit. Ezekiel 39.29, I will pour out my spirit. What this tells me is that we can have as much of the spirit of God as we want. How much do we want it? So, dear friends, to what and to where is God calling you today? To what and to where is God calling you today? What report do you want to accept? What kind of a report do you want to give? What type of spirit do you want within you? and I don't think I can word it any better than this. From patriarchs and prophets, often the Christian life is beset by dangers and duty seems hard to perform. The imagination pictures impending ruin before and bondage or death behind. Yet the voice of God speaks clearly. Go forward, go forward. We should obey this command even though our eyes cannot penetrate the darkness and we feel the cold waves around our feet. Now, specifically, this is talking about right before the Israelites were to cross the parted Red Sea. But I believe that this context can fit any and every circumstance we face in our lives when God is calling us forward and we're unsure whether we should go. May we all pray the prayer of David when it comes to going where God leads and trusting his promises. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, a different spirit within me. Amen and amen. And before we have our closing prayer, I'm gonna invite Heather Preston to come forward stand at the foot of the steps. She's filling in for Laurie, who is now back in the kitchen, helping to prepare potluck. But after the benediction, you who wish to be dismissed, and do so. But if there's anybody here that you have a, a specific burden, a specific request, maybe a specific praise that you would like to share, either Heather or myself, we would love to talk with you. We would love to hear from you. We would love to pray with you and lift that petition Lift that praise up to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want a different spirit. We wanna be like Caleb. We wanna be like Joshua. Even when we are surrounded with bad reports, we are surrounded with with people that have unbelief in your promises in what you are capable of and where you might lead. Lord, we want a different spirit. We want to trust in your promises. We want to encourage people that you are mighty, that you keep your word, that you are good. And Lord, we don't just want this different spirit for ourselves. We want to fulfill that covenantal promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, you have called us and blessed us so that we can then go and bless the entire world. So Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us that different spirit and give us opportunities to share the good news message, to share the gospel with those in the world who need to hear it. We give ourselves to you in the same way that Jesus gave himself to us. And we pray this all in his powerful name. Amen and amen.